Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Church. It's good to be here together with you. And those of you who are joining us online, it's good to have you on the other side of that camera. Um, and those who braved the weather, um, it is definitely looking more like winter <laughs> here in Michigan. So glad that you are all here safely. This morning, our call to worship comes from Psalm chapter 104, which talks about God's creation um, and the beauty of God's creation and how God provides and cares for all that God has made. I invite you to stand and to hear these words from Psalm 104, and then I will cue you at a certain point to uh, join me in speaking the words on the screen, and we'll finish together. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. But when you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. I'll speak these words together. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in all his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. We will sing to the Lord all our lives long. We will sing praise to our God as long as we live. May our meditation be pleasing to him as we rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord from the depths of our souls. Praise the Lord. Let's join our voices together in song.
You may be seated. The God who creates and sustains all things is the same God who invites us into honest relationship and into ongoing repentance and forgiveness. Let's pray together, confessing our sins to this loving God. Wondrous God, who sets sun and moons above us, mountains and valleys beneath us, and friends and strangers among us, too often have we tried to hide from your presence. How seldom have we looked for your creating face and your fashioning hand. Lord, have mercy upon us. Holy God, we groan at our weaknesses and we ask forgiveness. Your word is so clear and your grace is so good, but we close our ears to your call. And with our pride, we foul the gifts you have given us. Like your servant Paul, we know that what you require of us, yet like Paul, what we do is not the good we want to do, and the evil we do not want to do, that evil we keep on doing. We mistreat those we love, and we dishonor you, the one who made us. How long, O Lord, will we continue to ignore your will? Yet you provide streams of living mercy. You invite us again and again to live renewed lives. So we turn once again to the cross, to the empty cross, to the stone rolled away, to our interceding Lord Jesus Christ, seated at your right hand, to the gracious gift of your spirit. We seek your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We draw upon your promises, and we ask once again simply for mercy. Lead us in your ways and help us to follow you. With your Holy Spirit, sanctify us. Hear our prayer, O Lord, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, the God who challenges us is also the God who encourages us. The God who confronts us is also the God who accepts us. Be assured that God is with us even now, accepting, guiding, and forgiving. Thanks be to God.
very much, Bell Choir and Fellowship Church. The Lord be with you. You like my gloves? I just want to be a part of the Bell Choir. Oh, boy. I'm probably going to do it wrong. How do you do it? I can't do it. No wonder I didn't make the cut. Where did I put it? It goes right there. What fun. Well, my name is Ross Dealman, obviously not a bell player, and uh, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, I'll take off the gloves, where our mission is uh, to love God and others, and we seek to do both of those things, not one or the other. We seek to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And we're glad for the many of you who join us in that. We seek to live out that mission locally and globally. And this week, you have a great opportunity to connect with some of our global partners. So this coming Tuesday night, which is Tuesday, the November 16, at 7 p.m., mark your calendars right out in the atrium there, have opportunity to connect with, to greet, and to learn from some mission partners from Peru and Nicaragua. So again, that's two days away, uh, but would love to have you join and hear from them uh, this coming Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Looking backwards, we recognize also that just this past Thursday was Veterans Day, a day in which our nation honors our veterans. And even in just a moment, you're going to hear in our fellowship stories this week a story from World War II, one of the world's most storied wars. However, a little bit of simple math reveals that the veterans among us today are probably not from that particular war. You'd have to be around 100 years old for World War II. The, the veterans of today are more likely of other war times. Uh, Vietnam or the Persian Gulf or other activities. We would like to honor those veterans still, and I invite you to stand if you are among us having served in any of the armed services. Would you please stand this morning so we can give thanks to you and your work and service? Thank you. And uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, we recognize there is kind of the official calendar day where we collectively give thanks coming upon us soon. About a week and a half away will be our Thanksgiving Eve service. Here at Fellowship, we celebrate the night before on a Wednesday night. You are all invited, family, friends, neighbors too. It'll be a service in which we gather for songs and for prayers and some interactive activities by which we intend to be intentional about giving thanks to God. 
at this time in our lives. And so that is at 6.30 in the sanctuary here on a Wednesday night and also the atrium and online too. We welcome you to join us. Also, soon after that, and especially this year, soon after Thanksgiving begins a season called Advent. And uh, for now, I simply want to make aware to you that this book is an Advent devotional book that's available at our welcome desk just out back. You're invited to grab one now so you can make ready to join in the journey. It's a great book of art and biblical story. It includes questions for discussion or for journaling, even activities for families. Uh, and, and ornaments to put on the tree. And it is a daily reading. It is not complex or long, uh, but it's a great way to journey intentionally every day up from December 1 through December 25 to celebrate Christmas together. The books are just out back. You can get them uh, starting today. Finally, I want to say to the kids, you will soon be released to go off to Sunday school time, but sit tight for just a minute. We have another fellowship video that we'd love for you to see with us, and after the video is through, you can scoot out to your places. But for now, let's continue in worship watching this video together. My name is Nancy McDonald and my family and I have been worshiping at Fellowship for 15 years. One of our family's favorite hymns is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Um, my grandparents, my mother and her sister, um, immigrated to the United States from the Netherlands after World War II in August of 1950 after surviving the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. They survived severe starvation. Um, my grandfather worked with the Dutch underground and they survived hiding him from the Nazis. They survived bombings. They survived um, watching their neighbors being shot by the Nazi police as well as even seeing a plane crash in their backyard. After the war, they made the decision to immigrate to the United States. It took about four years for them to get everything arranged. And as they were on the dock waiting to leave to come to the United States, my great-grandfather, Vanarkel, told my grandparents to always remember the words of the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And so it's remained a very important hymn to the family. So although all of the words of the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, were important to my grandparents, there's one particular line that really stands out to me of being incredibly important to them. And that is, do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. Early in the um, World War II, my grandfather was part of the Dutch Navy. It, the Dutch didn't, fight the war very long before the Nazis took over, but my grandfather's ship was set to sail and he developed appendicitis. So he had to remain behind on land for his surgery and recovery. And while he is recovering, his ship was attacked, sunk, and everyone on board died. So my grandfather was left behind. Um, he ended up being reassigned work by the Nazis and eventually started to work for the Dutch underground. 
obtaining medicines, food, supplies, um, heating items for people in his neighborhood and people around him to help them survive the war. One of those neighbors reported him to the Nazi police and my grandfather was then sent to a work camp where he remained for multiple months. He, for whatever reason, was able to escape. He used his knowledge of the railroad and he escaped back home. My grandmother hid him under my mother's bed between the floorboards under her bed and the first floor of their home, which is about 18 inches, maybe two feet, where he stayed for over a year, um, coming out occasionally. But when he returned from the work camp, he was severely malnourished and also very sick. My grandmother used the same Dutch underground connection to obtain medications and extra food for him to be able to survive, and the entire family survived. They felt such betrayal and anger that a neighbor, and they felt it was a next door neighbor, had reported them during this time of everyone's severe need for help. Um, that I think that the hymn made such an impact on their lives forever. Um, every single word of this hymn, it was important for them their whole lives.
Well, the Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. Maybe it's because Thanksgiving is coming up, but that video and song made me particularly grateful, grateful for the uh, tenacity of so many of you and so many people in this world who've overcome such significant hurdles in their life and for God's promise to be with us as we over, have overcome some of those hurdles but also feeling grateful for the fellowship family and your willingness to share these vulnerable and uh, oftentimes uh, precious stories with all of us. Uh, what a gift it has been, uh, and thanks to Nancy for being willing to do that this morning. If you've been journeying with us this fall, you've noticed that we've had a number of uh, guest preachers come and share with us. And what a gift, again, in the spirit of gratitude it has been to hear from different voices, from different people, and for so many of these voices to come right from our own midst, our own congregation. Folks like Hannah last week and Suzanne a couple weeks ago, Ken at the beginning of uh, the fall or end of summer, however you look at it, and even for Han Lewin, who came to us from Western Seminary this fall. I'm thankful for these guest preachers, but uh, oftentimes also friends uh, and part of the fellowship family. Had Amos, though, been a guest preacher, our prophet for this morning, like he was to Israel a long, long ago, we would have been in for quite a surprise. Imagine for a moment a crisp November morning with the sun shining, different maybe than it is today, and our service is getting ready to start at 10.37 a.m., right? I mean 10.30 a.m., depending on what time you, which service you come for. We've sung some songs, some prayers have been offered, maybe the announcements have been shared, a video has played, and now the guest preacher is introduced. He comes from, you know, that other place on the East Coast, close to the capital uh, of Washington, D.C., one of those type, if you know what I mean. No obvious chip on his shoulder, though, necessarily, but he's clearly not from around here. He comes with a bit of a reputation for being faithful to God and a great orator and a speaker of God's word and congregation like us is waiting with bated breath, you might say, for what he's about to say. And he starts off like a lion, quite literally a roar. Uh, the sermon begins as he says, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither and the top of Mount Carmel dries up. After this boisterous introduction, the congregation kind of joins in the excitement as the preacher poetically decries the abhorrent violence of other nations. Thus says the Lord, I will not revoke punishment for the consequences of your sin are too great, North Korea, for your repressive regimes and the torture of your people is too unjust. I will not revoke punishment for the consequences of your sin are too great, Myanmar, for your detestable persecution of the Rohingya people and the destruction of their towns. 
The congregation kind of begins nodding their heads, maybe even shouting a few amens, and the preacher goes on, thus says the Lord, I will not revoke punishment, for the consequences of your sin are too great, Taliban, for the mistreatment of women and the repression of freedoms of your citizens. I will not revoke punishment, for the consequences of your sin are too great, gangs in Haiti, for your corruption of their government rule and the abuse of their citizens. Amos' sermon riles up the congregation in a spirit of righteous anger against the atrocities of these other nations. I can imagine some people in the congregation beginning to thinking it's about time someone spoke out against this evil. God is going to punish them. Amen. Yes, for sure. They are evil. Show no mercy, God. People at fellowship might be starting to think, maybe we should hire this guy. You know, we're looking for a third pastor. Amos seems pretty good. Who, who invited this guest preacher to the pulpit? You know, we should give that person a bonus. <laughs> Amos continues, though. I will not revoke punishment for the consequences of your sin are too great, Washington, D.C., for your self-centeredness and greed and your incapacity to work together for the good of the nation. Well, that's weird, you might be thinking. I thought Amos was from Washington, D.C. That's kind of our people too, isn't it? And then he continues, I will not revoke punishment for the consequences of your sin are too great, church in Holland? That's not expected. You certainly have our attention, Amos. You see, Amos was a poetic preacher, but more so even a fiery prophet. And the majority of his book is not a condemnation of the neighboring other nations. No, his condemnation is against the people of God in Israel. God, through the prophet Amos, is calling the church to more wholehearted faithfulness. While, yes, it's a specific prophecy given at a certain time and place to a certain people, I believe it has something to tell us today. Despite it primarily being a word of judgment against Israel, I believe it reveals God's character as merciful and just. You've heard a little bit of Amos chapter 1 in the NV, Nate's version of the Bible. We are going to hear now directly from the real Bible, uh, uh, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, and verses 21 and 24, some of the most famous of this short prophetic book. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Just as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of, Israel, of Joseph. Thus says the Lord, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies even though you offer me offerings and burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, 
I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. I had a mentor once tell me that some of his best sermons are ones in which he would hide behind the text, which was his way of saying, don't preach your agenda or the agenda of another. Lift up the word of God. And to that, we might say, amen. We're not a social club. We're not a political action committee. We're not a do-good fraternity or sorority. We are the church, and we believe that at the center of the universe, actually, is a God who speaks, speaks the world into existence, speaks the word through the prophets and the people that were part of the Bible, and that by the Spirit, we hear God's word when we open the word. Amos does not let us hide behind the text and hide behind the me in Jesus gospel, but rather Amos reveals God's heart for the whole world. As Bob File, a pastor and Old Testament scholar in Scotland said, to preach on issues of justice in the context of Amos is not to preach another gospel, but rather to demonstrate that the true gospel has social implications. So let's first consider the context of this prophecy. Israel is living at a time of relative prosperity. There's no foreign nations attacking them anymore. They have been established as a country, and they are experiencing some good, uh, a booming economy, you might say. Many in Israel are living pretty well-off lives. Life is pretty good, at least for some. So why is Amos so critical of them then? What was God's word of judgment directed towards the people of Israel? In a word, hypocrisy. Israelites worshipped with extravagant offerings at the altar, burnt offerings, grain offerings, fatted animals, the text says. They sang songs and offered prayers of dedication to God. And there's nothing wrong with that except... As other parts of Amos reveal, the people were much less faithful in all other aspects of their life. Those that were wealthy and powerful exploited the poor and the weak, according to chapter 4. In chapter 5, the poor were denied access to the courts and good justice while the judges were being bribed by the rich and powerful. And later on in that same chapter 5, the rich build opulent homes, second homes even, and plant vineyards with the income that they have uh, received from overburdening the poor. Chapter 8 articulates how the people, uh, the business leaders of that day, engaged in deceitful business practices, all to earn an extra buck or two. Which is to say that the big show on the Sabbath morning of the Israelites was purely a front for what they did on the rest of the week. Not only were they hypocritical in their own life, but they showed no care for the most vulnerable of their society. 
God's anger at the hypocrisy of the people and their apathy towards the poor reveal God's heart for justice, God's heart for those who are marginalized and his desire for congruence and integrity for his people. It reminds me of a news story I heard this week or I saw. Apparently, there's a security officer in a local hospital who was arrested this week and accused of using his position to sneak a peek at nursing women at the hospital. He scratched a hole in the frosted glass of the door, supposedly, and used that hole to see women undressed. What makes this allegation so despicable? Why is this a news story and not just another one of the random cases that uh, happen on a daily basis that are gross or disgusting? It's that this person breached uh, another person's security while he was doing the very, while he was in opposition to the very thing that he was hired to do. He broke the law that he was seeking to uphold. It was a breach of integrity, an act of hypocrisy. Amos might even say it was a matter of justice. Those in power are not supposed to use their power to, they're supposed to use their power to do their job, not to abuse it. makes me wonder, what do you think Amos's prophetic word would be towards us, towards the injustices of our day? I mean, there's plenty that we as the church could be seen as indifferent towards. Maybe it's systemic racism. Maybe it's an unfair healthcare system. Maybe it's the vulnerability of, the, of un- unborn children. Maybe it's hypocrisy of Christians that are called to be peacemakers but rather and rather than being generous and loving to their neighbor show the opposite one particular injustice uh, i'm acutely aware of is accessible housing for people in our community i had a conversation this week with the leaders of our refugee team that are preparing to receive a refugee family from Afghanistan. We've been waiting for about a month. Thankfully, uh, when the family arrives, we have temporary housing for them, immediate housing for them until January. But being the wise and thoughtful leaders they are, they're acknowledging that the snow is coming and January is going to be here before you know it. So they started looking for a place for the refugee family to live even before they arrived. What they discovered was that two to three bedroom apartments in the Holland area, mostly either apartments or multi-unit dwellings in the core city, at the base pay, base rate cost about $1,400 a month plus utilities which is a shockingly high number for a couple reasons. One, it's shockingly high for me because the rental rate for a two-bedroom apartment with less than 1,000 square feet is more than the mortgage payment I make every month for a four-bedroom home. And the second is that these apartments and rental units are oftentimes filled with the workforce, folks that are entering into the workforce sometimes for the very first time like this refugee family. Many of them are making an hourly rate and a 
maybe between $15 and $18 an hour if they're lucky. And did you know that if you made at the top end of that $18 an hour and you worked 40 hours a week, a full-time job, that half of your take-home income every month would go just to pay your rent? Which begs the question, how does one not just survive but climb out of poverty with such a large burden for your housing costs? Or maybe more pertinent to the spirit of Amos, is accessible housing an injustice in our day? The book of Amos reveals God's heart for justice, God's critique of those with power and means who don't use it for good. This critique probably casts guilt on many of us as it reveals our inadequacy to fulfill all that God's justice intends for this world. And, and the book of Amos reveals the mercy of God. God doesn't long to only be feared as the upholder of justice. God longs to be loved and in a loving relationship with you and me. Justice without mercy only causes fear. Justice and mercy spur on love. Even as Amos clearly articulates the consequences of Israel's apathy towards the poor and their hypocrisy in worship, Amos also reveals God's mercy, God's longing for loving relationship with his people and for that relationship to transform the ways in which people relate to one another. In the chapter that we just heard, we heard of God's desire to relent from the punishment that, he, uh, that is deserved for Israel When Amos says, it may be that the Lord will be gracious to you. And Amos exhorts the people, hate evil and please love good. And in the final crescendo of the passage, let justice roll like streams of water. Let righteousness flow like an everlasting stream. These, this passage and many, other, many others in Amos reveals God's character. God doesn't want people to perish. God doesn't want the society to crumble from the inside out. God doesn't desire for desperate people to have to act in desperate ways. God wants mercy. God wants people to change their ways. God wants the world to more fittingly reflect God's perfect kingdom with people who reflect his just and merciful character. Yes, we too, should find ourselves angered and maybe even a little bit convicted by injustice. And, and we should long for mercy to be shown to others and to ourselves because love is what changes people. Too often, I think, in our society today, our social justice movements are characterized too much as angry. Don't get me wrong, Jesus gets angry and anger is not a bad thing, but we can't divorce justice and mercy. We can't divorce God's anger with injustice from God's love for mercy. Because when we do, we get stuck, stuck in the swamp of our own anger and our own self-righteousness. But the great and for today, the great and of justice and mercy 
Justice and mercy believes that people can change. Justice and mercy believes that systems can be reformed. Justice and mercy believes in a God who can, who can and will change the world. Justice and mercy maintains hope, not bitterness and anger. I mentioned before that the refugee family that is coming uh, to live here in Holland soon has temporary housing until January. What you might not know is that this housing is being provided by one of our very own in Mike and Rachel Gorehouse and their two young children, Anna and Lucas, who have packed up their most precious belongings and have prepared to move into their parents' homes, all so that their house can be used by this refugee family for a couple of months. An act of generosity, to be sure. But maybe what's more impressive is the vulnerability that they have exhibited in opening their home to a complete stranger, to a foreigner from a war-torn country who they might not even be able to communicate clearly with. They have chosen to believe in the good of humanity, trusting that this family that they don't know yet, this vulnerable family that has experienced so much, will be respectful of their house and all of its furnishings. This is mercy. This is the gift of love undeserved. Accessible housing is a justice issue. Opening one's home makes it a justice and mercy issue for the Gorehouse family. I asked Mike when we were negotiating, if you will, this generous offer. I said, Mike, what if Fellowship Church, in a way of saying thank you for making your home available, what if we bought some locks, some door handles with keyed locks so that you could lock up a room or two or a closet uh, so that um, you, know, you could put your most precious belongings and also maybe some things that you don't want to share or them to touch in. And, and then you could just, we could lock the door and then when they're, they move out, we'll, we'll change the locks back. You know what Mike said? No, I don't think that that's necessary. We don't want to be those kind of Christians that give with strings attached. We know the risks that, we're, uh, uh, that, that are involved here. And we're willing to extend that grace to them, that mercy to them. Even if something gets breaked, it's no big deal. My friends, we follow a merciful and just God. Mike and Rachel have responded to that in the most glaring way. But this God takes injustice very seriously. But in vulnerability, also exhibits mercy to those who least deserve it. And this is what has prompted Mike and Rachel Gorehouse to do such a thing. Most clearly, this God has made himself vulnerable, exhibiting the great lengths that he would go to show his character as merciful and just in sending to this world Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, in Christ, the justice of God would be satisfied when Christ took on the weight of all of our brokenness, sin, and guilt that we should bear and took it on his shoulders, taking it to the very end in a form of a sacrificial death. 
And the mercy of God was shown, revealed, you might say, in exhibiting such great love, taking on the unjust punishment of our brokenness for not his sake, but for the world's sake, for the sake of you and me. It seems to me that the most fitting response, the most faithful response for the church today is to try to exhibit the same kind of justice and mercy that's been shown to us, to those that we meet. May that be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand and to join us in singing some of these words from Amos as we sing Justice Will Roll Down in our response this morning. She has been
Friends, we're going to take a moment to turn to God in prayer, and I want to make you aware that we will end this prayer by praying together the Lord's Prayer. But for now, I invite you to join me in heart and mind and spirit. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are challenged and oddly encouraged by the spirited words of the prophet Amos, an ancient voice advocating for timeless goods, a life-shaped relationship between people and their God, and life on earth that is pleasing in your sight. Amos was a prophet who represented you, O God, to the people, and who represented us, the people, to you, O God. By his example, we are taught to care not only for ourselves, but for others too, for people everywhere. So hear us now as we pray for this world, our world, your world, O Christ. We pray first for life on earth to flourish, for oceans and for hills, for water and for air, for this whole wide world fashioned by your word and upheld by your mighty hand. May your name, O God, be praised by the rocks and the trees, the changing colors of the leaves, the snow that gently falls, and especially may everything that has breath praise your name, not least of which includes us, your people, who have been called from the very start to steward this holy place. We pray also for nations and for governments and for all people who lack either or both. Awaken leaders everywhere to an awareness of your ultimate lordship and to our calling to use whatever we've been given for good and not for ill. Even in the simple and unglamorous routines of life, help us, O oh God, to see the many daily opportunities we have to advance the cause of goodness, beauty, grace, and truth. And when we fail, O oh God, because we will and regularly do, teach us to pray like King David, who earnestly asked, who can discern their own errors? Lord, forgive our hidden faults and keep your servants from willful sins. May they not rule over us. Finally, O oh God, in the midst of all of our striving and our stumbling, we are mindful also of all who are in trouble, those near and those far, all who are experiencing injustice or struggle, sickness or sorrow. And we take a moment in silence to name these ones we know that need you right now.
for all the hurts of this world, O God. Send help. Send healing. Please surround the hurting ones with friends and move society to do what can be done. And now, as disciples of Jesus, we turn and join our voices together to pray the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together.
Most certainly, grant us wisdom and courage, O oh God, that we might serve uh, exhibiting your character of merciful and justice uh, in this world that so desperately needs it. And as we go this week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.